0: If you've got your Bibles with you, let me invite you this morning to turn with me to John chapter 13. If you want to use the blue Bibles in front of you, page 900, or you can follow along with me this morning in your bulletin as we finish John chapter 13 uh, today. Uh, Last week, if you were with us, we saw The love of Jesus exemplified in the fact that he would stoop so low as to even wash the feet, taking the role of the servant. And we saw that not only had that taken place, not only had he done that, but he called his followers to do the same thing as well, to do just as he had done, that is, willing servants as slaves we would follow in the example of our lord and our teacher and serve one another he has set us free but he has set us free so that then we become bound to one another as bond servants of one another and for us in a particular congregation bond servants so that we serve one another in this church today We are shown, as we come to the end of this passage, we are shown, if I may borrow a phrase from uh, Paul that we used in Sunday school, and I think applies here uh, equally as well, if not better, uh, we are shown today a still more excellent way. It is one thing to say, in effect, that uh, we should serve one another. We should do things for one another. We should get down low and take care of one another. It's one thing to say that, and it is still another thing to say, love one another. So here, this portion of the word, I'm going to read from verse 21 of chapter 13 and take it all the way to the end, though our focus will be right in the middle of this section. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let's pray. Great God in heaven, we would like to be able to say to your word time after time when we hear it, amen, we will do it, we will follow you, we will love one another, and yet we see in us this weakness of the flesh. And so we pray today that as we see these things again, as we hear these things afresh, that you would strengthen us, that you would renew us, forgive us as we hear these things, and Jesus, empower us to love one another as we have been called to love. And we pray this in your name. Amen. And it was night. Now sometimes when a writer makes a statement like this, the writer is simply trying to uh, piece together for us the chronology of a story or let us know where and when some event took place. But when John, who begins his gospel by proclaiming that the light of the world has come into the world, When he says, and it was night, it is to say that at this moment, a spiritual darkness has settled in on the top of this world. In the Gospel of Luke, when he is arrested, Jesus will say, to the chief priests, to the officers of the temple who had come out to arrest him, he will say to them, this is your hour in the power of darkness. Jesus, in our passage, is troubled. He's troubled in his spirit. He's troubled in his soul about this hour. The betrayal is at hand, and the betrayer has been exposed. Now, whether or not the people who were around him at the table, we obviously see that there was some confusion. Perhaps Peter and John understood what was going on. But the betrayer has been identified by Jesus, and the machinery of evil, has been set in motion now. There's no going back on this at this point. And at this moment, even the strong, Peter, even the strong will teeter, will wobble over the abyss of destruction to the point where they just might fall headlong into it and it was night. That's the darkness that has settled in at this particular time. Betrayal is at hand, and my point in emphasizing this is to show us that the cry of love, the call of love that is found in the middle of this passage is not issued to us, when Jesus is on some kind of bed of roses, when all was right and good with the world and guitars were gently strumming and singing birds were outside of the windows and gentle breezes were coming in through that upper room and maybe the last rays of sunlight were just coming down through the, the windows of the upper room so that everything was nice and everything was beautiful. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, when he is staring directly into the face of evil. He's looking at evil square. He's he's looking at betrayal right in the eye. He's looking at the failure of the disciples. He's looking at the betrayer himself and that which is taking place. And he's looking at it all not with just Overwhelming confidence and everything's okay, but with a troubled soul. The summons to love, then, is an act of faith in the midst of that. It's an it's an act of defiance. When hatred is all around him, Jesus speaks. Words of love into the midst of the hatred, into the midst of the darkness. When he says, love one another as I have loved you, he's not issuing something that's just fluffy. He's issuing a battle cry into a hate-filled world, and he's looking at it square, and he understands the hate and the darkness in a way that we never could The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the darkness. And in the darkness, the one who is love says love one another. All is not as it seems here. The the motor of evil is roaring In this passage, it is in full gear in the passage that is before us today. And yet the greater mystery is that behind that, or even in that, the glory of God is being made manifest. He identifies Judas. Sop goes into the cup, sop, and it's given to Judas. And he sends him out to do what he is going to do, to do it quickly. And as Jesus does that, he has, if you will, taken the step that will set in motion these final activities that will lead to his death. He has said, once again, I will do this. I will accomplish my father's will. I will take the death upon me, and in so doing, it is glory, not death, that will be the end. That's the point of those verses that go back and forth over top of themselves as we read it. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. Glory for Jesus doesn't wait only until the resurrection and the ascension. Glory is even now because he's drank it. He said, I will do this. I will accomplish this and in that he and his father are glorified. And then in the midst of this darkness and this betrayal and this rejection of those who were around him, we see just laid up right against that, this incredibly intimate scene of a low Roman table and Jesus reclined with the disciples who are around him, literally laying up against one another. Betrayal is at hand, and yet intimacy is there right at the exact same time. And he turns to them, and he says... Little children, with all of the affection and all of the love that we as parents might say to our own children if we knew we were getting ready to die, if we knew that tomorrow we die, little children, I am going away, and before I go away, I want to tell you the most important thing. Love one another that's what I want to tell you before I go away love one another jesus doesn't want the disciples just to serve one another to stick together to work well with one another he doesn't want them just don't kill each other just worship together just forgive one another just put up with one another just endure one another A lot of things can be done without love, but instead at the heart of this nascent, this baby, this being birthed messianic community is the highest call to you, you men gathered in this room, in this small room, love one another for uh, the great American theologian, Jonathan Edwards. Love is the chief of the affections. He says, it is the root and spring, and as it were, the comprehension of all of the virtues. And Edwards defines love simply as that disposition or affection... Whereby we are dear to one another. Okay? That disposition or that affection whereby we are dear to one another. Without love, the greatest of spiritual gifts, whether it be faith or whether it be knowledge or any other gifts, without love, all of the other things are rendered vanity impotent, without this virtue of virtues. Now, let's be clear here for a moment. Love does things. It serves, and it gives, and it encourages. Love does things, and therefore we can say yes and amen to those who have said love is a verb. You do things, and that's how you love other people. Yes, it is true. And love is a bonded commitment to another person. We've heard, I'm sure all of us have heard, love is a decision. Love is a commitment. It's our commitment to care for one another, to serve one another, to be faithful to one another. And surely love is formed and nurtured by our habits and our practices. Love can be commanded of us and it can be done in obedience and shown in obedience to the commands of God. It can be demonstrated in that way. But love is, at its root, an affection. And you're not allowed to define it in some other way that it doesn't stay exactly that. It's an affection. It's a disposition of our hearts in which someone is dear to us, someone is precious to us, someone is treasured by us. And that is the heart of the Christian faith. And it's supposed to be the heart of the Christian community. It is as if Jesus, on this night, facing the betrayal and facing the evil and facing the failure of these very men who are in this room at this particular time, it's as if he said to them, do not be overcome by this. Do not be overcome by the darkness. Do not be overcome by the tendency that we have to betray one another. Do not be overcome by the tendency that we have to compare ourselves to one another and always come out on top in that comparison. Do not be overcome by even your own failures, but instead, overcome with the light of the love with which I have loved you. Don't be overcome by the darkness. Be overcome or overcome by the light of the love with which he has loved. Jesus, in our passage, as you heard it clearly and have heard it many times before, Jesus calls this a new commandment. It's something new that I am saying to you. Newness is in the air this night. It's kind of odd. It's an end Right? Jesus is getting ready to depart, but newness and freshness is in the air. There's an odd freshening breeze that is somewhere going on in the bottom of this, in the midst of this darkness. A new community is being formed, and Jesus gives them the wine and says, this wine is the new covenant in my blood and I will not drink it again until I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. And the promises, if we turn back to them, and we're not going to right now, but if we turn back to the uh, Old Testament, to Jeremiah, to Ezekiel, the promises of this new covenant are that in the new covenant, God will put a new heart and a new spirit into his people. And so into this atmosphere of newness, Jesus gives a new commandment of love. Now, I trust that all of us are aware that none of the things that I've just mentioned are utterly new in the sense that they have never been before. There's been a community before of people who followed after God. There's been a covenant before for the people of God. There has been a spirit, the spirit in the people of God before this, a heart to love God. And of course, this command in and of itself is not new, as we could see in any number of places, but Leviticus 19 that we read together today as one of them. The commandment itself is not new, at least in the absolute sense Maybe we can say it this way. On this night, when Jesus is with his disciples in this room, celebrating an ancient feast, nothing is new. And everything is new. Nothing's new. And everything is new in this night. And what he is about to do for his people it's new in scope it's new in extent it's new in power it's new in our ability to fulfill it it's new in depth it is a world and 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 you can try and think of the analogies here but it is a world in which black and white is going to color everything is new Love one another in a new way, in a new depth, with a new intensity, with a new spirit. And this newness is coupled with, and it's defined by, clarified by, Jesus' statement, as I have loved you. As I have loved you. And if we ask ourselves, okay, as you've loved us, well, what kind of love was that? How has Jesus loved us? Well, I'm not going to preach that sermon again. That was two weeks ago. You can find it online uh, and you can get a, 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 a statement of the ways in which God, which Jesus has loved us. Love each other with that kind of love. Laying down his life, a self sacrificial love, self giving, selfless. The love that Jesus has shown to us. Is a love that the world has never seen incarnate before. No one, no one in history has loved the way that that man loved. It's a new example of love. It's a new standard of love. It's a new quality of love. It's a new degree of love that we see in Jesus and all of this is true. But let me add something to it. The the point I think that Jesus is making is not only that we have been shown love and taught to love and we've been commanded to love we have, remember last week Jesus says, I've, I've done this, I've given you an example that you should do exactly the same thing. But there's another point as well, in addition to the fact that we've been shown love, that we've seen the love of Jesus, and the point is this, we're loved. We have been and are loved. We have been loved by Jesus, and the love of Jesus, not just the example of the love of Jesus, but the love of Jesus towards us is a transformative kind of love. When you're loved with that kind of love, that changes us. In the next chapter, in John chapter 14, Jesus will say to the disciples as he's trying to comfort them and trying to encourage them with his impending departure, I will not leave you as orphans. I won't leave you as orphans. Orphans often struggle to love. They struggle to love because they have not been loved. If, if you take away from a child love, the touch of love, the care of love, the words of love, the presence of love, if you take that away from a child, their ability to grow up and to be one who loves another will be crippled. It will be taken away. And while I want to be careful here not to just make this pop psychology or easy psychology, there are psychological studies that show exactly that. But here's the point. The point is this. When Jesus takes spiritual orphans and loves them with a love that is everlasting, with a love that will carry through his cross and his resurrection and grant to them forgiveness of our sins and adoption into his family and when Jesus turns and addresses his followers and says to them not servants but instead little children or in, in, in two chapters, friends what he's saying to them is those you, you here who are dear to me who have become precious to me who have become treasured to me you whom I love, we're not just talking about some new standard that has been set. We're not just talking about a higher bar for love that has been set to which we must now aspire. We are talking about loving as those who are beloved. By a love that will not let us go. Whatever our experience of earthly love has been, however good or however disastrous it has been, Jesus has loved us with a love that has no bottom, that has no top. It is a limitless love with which he loves, and it will not let us go. To be sure, our love is clarified by the command that Jesus gives, love one another. But it's not empowered by that. Instead, it's empowered and it's grounded in the love that Jesus gives to us. We love, verse on the front of the bulletin, we love not because we've been commanded to love, not because we've been taught to love, not because we've been shown an example of how to love. We love because he's first loved us. Those who have been loved hear the words love one another and go, I know what that looks like. I have felt that kind of love. I have been cherished by that kind of love. These men knew love because they had been loved by our Lord, by their Savior. Forgive me, I've told some of you this story. I don't think I've told it from the pulpit before. I know I've told a number of you this story uh, in private conversations. When our first grandchild was born, I was not prepared. Uh, when you're having your own children, even as a husband, obviously this is true for women, but even as a husband, you kind of live along with it and you're kind of getting excited together about this birth. And, and if you're the, the husband, you, you get to feel your wife's belly and you get to see the sonograms together and you get to hear the heartbeats together um, and you talk together and you figure out names together. You do everything together. So ladies, while you're doing it, We're coming along. We're coming along. You don't get that when you're grandparenting, when the kids are a couple of hours away. You don't get it. You don't know, people tell you, but you don't know yourself. And so I didn't know what to expect. And when when I got to the hospital, and I got that first grandchild in arms, a love bomb exploded in my chest. And I I wasn't ready for it. I didn't know it would come. And it just exploded in there. And it hasn't stopped. In that room, that night, with the disciples leaning up against Jesus, listening to his words, leaning up against one another, a love bomb, boom, went off in the church. And the concussions of that love bomb that went off there are, are what brings us together as a body right now. They're still going on throughout all the world. That explosion of love that takes place in the midst of the darkness that this Savior says, love one another. Even as I have loved you. We've been swept up into the love of of the trinity and and as jesus offers himself and has loved in that kind of way the spirit of god and this is uh, <laughs> this is just my vision of this the spirit of god says i got this now i got it now i'm going to take that love and i'm going to minister it into the hearts of the saints and i'm going to minister into them Jesus, I'm taking your love and I'm taking your words and I'm ministering it into their hearts. I'm massaging their hearts with that love so that now they cry out, Abba, Father, with me. And now they're able to love. Now they're able to love. And as the passage or this section of it comes to a close, we dare not underestimate the importance of the command to love others, the intrinsic joy of loving others, and the instrumental value of loving others. Because the passage ends, as you know, with this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Companies, have logos and they have slogans by which they are known. Sports teams have mascots. They've got uniforms and they've got jerseys that they themselves wear and that they sell to other people and they're known by those. And countries have flags and national anthems by which they are known. And individuals have business cards and LinkedIn accounts by which they are known. And what you and I have is love. That's our calling card. Our calling card to the world. How do they know that the church was here? Kilroy was here. Use a old war analogy. How do they know that we were here? Love. They saw those people love one another. And by that, all men will know that we are His disciples. Our love for each other displays the love of the one whose disciples we are. Bathed by and in the love of Jesus, renewed and regenerated by the spirit of god love one another lord god it is a simple thing to say spirit of god refresh these old hearts and let them love let us be dear to one another precious to one another treasured by one another that the world might see that we might delight in it that you might be glorified in it that your name would be exalted and lifted up and that you might draw more and more into that love with which we have been loved give what you command Enable us. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.